0: In this week's episode, but there's something called compression lows. So if your CGM is under a lot of pressure, i.e. if your CGM is on your stomach and you're sleeping on your stomach, so even though your blood sugar isn't low, the Dexcom for whatever, reason, I actually don't know why that happens, but you can get alarms for low and urgent low. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulon podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Insulon Podcast. The. Best diabetic podcast. There's the voice crack. I
1: knew. I knew. I knew. <laughs> oh, oh no! Here we As go. As he was about to proclaim the best <laughs> yeah. podcast for diabetics in the world, Actually, you can't I can't even talk. say
0: the best Irish podcast. Not the best yet. Ah,
1: yeah. I think yeah, it's the
0: only Irish diabetic podcast. If anyway, you're not just before, just before we press record, I was explaining to Graham that. Oh, my, my voice is really hoarse today. And I'm, I'm expecting a few voice cracks. The very first sentence, the, the intro, my voice cracks. They so cracked the the. <coughs> yeah, so I was interrupted. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Whatever you're doing, I'll be ready for a good episode. We have a good and important and very insightful and beneficial episode today. What's crack, Graham?
1: Not much. I want to ask you about your new craze before we get into this. Sea swimming. Swimming in the Irish Ocean. The Irish Sea, it's actually called, not the ocean. Um, When did you get into it? Has it changed your life? Because I know it became a massive craze here in Ireland during... Well, I'd say it was the last two years, I think, a lot of people have gotten into sea swimming. But I don't know, actually, if it has. Or maybe it's just a thing that we're at the age now where we see people who are our age get into sea swimming. Maybe it was always a thing. But yeah, you were telling me recently you like to go for a swim every day? Yeah, so I've been going swimming
0: after the gym every morning. And then if I don't go to the gym, I just go, I I hop into the water anyway. Yeah. And I I, so I've been doing it for a few weeks every day. Absolutely love it. Mm. And I was always like, I remember having, like, seeing people get in swimming early over the years and I was always thinking what like these people are lunatics (laughs) like in the best way possible I was like these people are lunatics getting in swimming every day why do they do that what like why why is it such a benefit why is it such a good start to the day and I used to like I'd go for the odd swim over the year every year like we'd go down to Wexford or something and we'd go for like a holiday swim kind of thing And then just one of the days, a few weeks ago, I was like, I'm just going to start swimming every day (laughs) and I've done it since. (laughs) And it's hands down been the best introduction to my day, specifically my morning routine, bar none. Like it's unbelievable. And I'm now, I'm now
1: one of those people that's like, I know why it's such a good start to the day. Why? Why? How do you feel when you go in in comparison to how you used to feel? Because I know you're a very positive person and you wouldn't have been a person who would have been really sluggish in the morning. You would have got up, get out there, attack the day, go to the gym, get your work done, go for a run. How has this changed your mentality? It's because it's something
0: I don't necessarily enjoy Okay. from the start. And what I mean by that is the thought of getting into the freezing cold irish water first thing in the morning it isn't very appealing to say the least but when you get out your body is like woken up you are alert you're awake you're you just feel amazing but it's also the idea of starting your day by accomplishing something mm. and it's like by starting your day doing something <laughs> very difficult you just feel really good after it. So instead of, and look, I, I consistently go to the gym in the morning because I love training first thing, similar reason why kind of push yourself, et cetera, et cetera. But specifically with the morning swim, instead of when I wake up and the first thing that's in my head is, oh, this is what I have to do today. It's like, I have to call these people. I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to and sometimes first, like my first thought when I wake up can be overwhelming sometimes when I have loads of things that I have to do. I'm not complaining. It's, yeah. a, it's a good problem to have. But as I said, it can be kind of overwhelming when you wake up first thing. So instead of that being my first thought, it's now. Oh no! I have, to, I have to, I have to get past this sea swim, you know. Yeah, so yeah. I'm fully, fully focused on the sea swim. But once you do it, once I get out of the water, it just
1: you're just set up for the day. I think and think that explains it well. <laughs> I think Irish people get it. I don't. I presume there's going to be people who listen to this who are in landlocked areas who don't live beside the sea like we do. When you're talking about sea swimming. How long do you stay in? Do you actually swim out to sea out of your depth? Or are you just jumping in, getting the cold, the shock of the body, and then getting out? What's your routine when you get in there?
0: So I started off by just getting in and staying in for like 10 or 15 minutes and just almost kind of like adapting to the cold. But now I get in for, you know, 15, 20, sometimes 25 minutes, depending on how cold the water is. You're
1: staying that long?
0: Yeah, That well, is insane. But yeah, but it's really, really, really nice. Because you get in and like, when you get past that initial shock of, oh my God, it's so cold. Yeah. Your body so quickly adapts to it. Yeah. And if you're moving around and swimming, your body kind of warms up anyway.
1: You're a strong swimmer.
0: Strong enough, yeah.
1: So you, you have no problem going out of your depths, swimming out to sea no, a bit, floating around, yeah. coming back like, in. Yeah, it's grand. Like yeah. in, in Bray, there's kind of different
0: piles of rocks down, yeah. down the beach so you can kind of say i'll go halfway to that rock or i'll go fully to that rock or whatever it is um but if you are somebody listening to this podcast right now and you've been considering even getting in for a swim a couple of times a week trust me do it make a part of your routine i used to always have cold showers so i get into the shower be in it warm for a couple of minutes and then put it to freezing for like three minutes at the start of the day but a sea swim was just so much better so mm.
1: nice I, to be honest anybody who um, I talk to that does it loves it so yeah. I've never heard anybody who goes I absolutely hate it so it's well we have
0: to scary. go down to Mayo for the pier jumping from yeah. last episode remember
1: I, I have a bit of an issue with sea swimming I'm actually a very nervous swimmer so oh, but man. I've been I've been doing it on the sly doing it slowly oh. Which I mean, a on the slide? I've been doing it quietly. I've been kind of just going in, going down the odd time. <laughs> I am I'm very like I get very nervous out of my depth. I had a little bit of an incident there in Seapoint around Dublin oh, about two weeks ago where I didn't realise how out of depth I was and I panicked a little bit and I had to swim to sh- back to shore. Did I, I yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm slowly getting back in. But I started last summer because I, I, I wanted to get better and I got better and then I had that moment. And it put me back like months because mm-hmm. I was so afraid to get back in. But I went down there with Claire, my girlfriend, there last week. But I stayed well within my, my, uh, my depth while she went out swimming. I'm yeah. terrified. I've been out of my depth, like terrified. Hey, I didn't know that. Yeah, I can, I can swim. Like put me in a pool, fine. If I'm out of my depth in the pool, I'm fine because I know I can swim to the edge and all that kind of stuff. But with the sea, when I'm so like I, I'm so disorientated because. On a beach it's different because you kind of walk in and you understand where the levels are but mm. when Seapoint and all these different swimming areas around Dublin you just come off a ramp and then it just drops and you don't really know where it is where the rocks yeah. are and all that kind of stuff. Where you'd know in Bray where the rocks are and all that kind of stuff. I was completely disorientated because of my first time swimming in Point because I usually go to Black Rock and I just kind of and also Claire's friends were there and I was trying just to kind of be cool and not really <laughs> be scared yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But oh, uh stuff. But no. So what actually when I say nobody I know of who's done sweet swimming sea swim has actually complained about it, I'm probably the outlier here where I'm actually <laughs> yeah, the, the only one. Right, let's get into this week's episode because I'm sure you came here for diabetes advice, not sweet sea swimming advice. <laughs> yeah. uh, episode seventy one, we're at now. Can you believe seventy-one episodes of the Insulone Podcast? And we want to talk about getting the most out of your CGM. Owen. We could have a first-time listener. They could have just turned it on. They might have just been diagnosed this morning. Let's start from the very beginning. What is a CGM? If you're joining us for the first time, welcome.
0: We appreciate your time. A CGM is a continuous glucose monitor. So if you have seen my Instagram or if you have one yourself, you obviously know what it is, but it's basically like a patch that goes on your body, maybe your arm, your stomach, wherever it might be. And it's basically a continuous glucose monitor, as it is, as it's called, which monitors your blood sugar 24-7 and then gives you the information to a Bluetooth device, i.e. your phone. Now, I only got my CGM, I think, about a year ago for the first time. So I was finger-pricking for about eight or nine years, which is a massive transition from finger-pricking to using a CGM because... When you have a CGM, there's no place to hide. And what I mean by that is it completely opens up your eyes to every minute, every hour of your diabetes management, even when you're asleep. Whereas when you're finger pricking, ignorance is bliss sometimes because you don't necessarily see it all the time. You don't see the post food spikes as much. You don't see the rise in the morning as much. You don't see spiking with resistance training whatever it is, but when you slap a CGM on, you see everything, which is a massive benefit. And I now I'm somebody who absolutely loves my CGM. So in this episode, I'm going to go through from my experience, what I feel are the most important parts of a CGM in terms of how to use it and how to get the most out of it. So I'm going to be talking specifically about a Dexcom, which is what I use. Generally, the same fundamentals will apply for each type of CGM, but it might be slightly different depending on the one that you might have. Now, first of all, if you have a CGM, you are extremely lucky. And I am somebody who is extremely lucky to have it because in Ireland, for the most part, they're funded, which is unbelievable. So every day that I use my CGM, I'm extremely grateful for that because I know the difference it is compared to finger-pricking. So if you have a CGM, you are at a massive, massive, massive advantage. And an important thing to remember is if you do have one, you need to use it as a way to better your diabetes management rather than use it as an excuse to be complacent with it. And what I mean by that is Like I said, with a CGM on, your eyes are completely opened. You see everything. Now, because you see everything, you can fine tune your management. You can understand why certain patterns and trends are occurring. But at the same time, it's easy to say, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. I'll eat that, I'll drink this, because you know you have the comfort of a CGM because it's easier to see spikes. So it can be like, ah, I'll just take my insulin later. It's fine. Mm. And it's easy to be in that mindset because the reality of it is when you have a CGM, your management overall is a lot more convenient, but use that convenience to benefit your management rather than be complacent with it.
1: So you've a couple of pointers here i'm going to lead you in on them because i'd like to expand on them a little bit more on how to get the most out of your cgm you say that you get a better understanding of how different foods impact on your blood sugar how absolutely
0: so like i said like i said earlier when you're finger pricking ignorance is bliss and what happens is when you're finger pricking likely what you'll do is you'll check your finger you'll see what your blood sugar is at You'll take your insulin, you'll eat your food, and two hours later, you'll check your blood sugar again. Hopefully, depending on the ratio of your carb count and your insulin dose, you're back in range. Whereas when you have a CGM, that two-hour period where your bloods are kind of settling down after the food, so when you eat the food compared to two hours later, that two-hour window can open your eyes to, whoa my blood sugars are spiking a lot here. Or this is what happens when when I eat food and I don't understand my insulin timing. So when you have a CGM, you get a really, really detailed insight into how different foods affect your blood sugar and at what rate they impact your blood sugar. And what I mean by that is, for example, if I'm eating chicken and rice, so, something very, something very exciting. It's like always
1: that. chicken and rice. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> very to. exciting. So if I'm eating chicken and rice, let's say it's brown rice, that's gonna spike my blood sugar a lot slower than if I'm drinking a bottle of Coke. Now I know they're they're drastically different, but with a CGM, you'll be able to see that boom that Coke like shoots your blood sugar up super, super quick. Whereas with the chicken and rice, particularly brown rice, if it's high in fiber, it's going to spike your blood sugar a lot slower. You might not be able to see that with your finger prick. Whereas when you have a CGM on, you can see that happening almost at real time. Now, why is that important? That is important because if you understand how different foods affect your blood sugar and at what rate they affect your blood sugar, that gives you the opportunity, it gives you the ability to perfect your pre-bolus time. And why a pre-bolus is so important specifically in relation to wearing a CGM is because that reduces the spikes that you see. So your carb count for a meal could be exactly right. If your insulin to carb ratio is one unit for 10 grams carbs, and you eat 50 grams of carbs, that's exactly how much insulin you need. Whereas, if your insulin timing is off, if your pre bolus time isn't, say, for example, for, from my own experience, if I don't give myself that 15 minute pre bolus, my bloods are going to spike anyway. Now, it's not a massive ish- issue, but it can lead to further complications in the day because if I know, that I've done my carb count right. And if I know that I've taken the right amount of insulin and I'm still seeing that spike, I could be in the headspace of, why is my blood sugar still spiking? I've taken the right amount of insulin, why is my blood spiking? Even though it's just the timing that's been off. But if I see that spike and I'm unaware of the fact that my timing was off, I can then doubt the insulin that I've taken. If I'm doubting the insulin that I've taken for the meal because I'm seeing this spike, I'm then gonna be more inclined to double down on the insulin to get my blood sugar down as fast as
1: I can, inevitably plummeting to the other side. Yeah. Moving on to the next one. What about setting yourself targets and goals with your CGM?
0: Yeah, this is a good one. And I I actually made a post about this on Instagram and I think through my email list one of the days last week, if you haven't signed up for the email list, you can get it in the link through the description of this episode. Setting yourself targets with your blood sugar and with your diabetes overall, in my opinion, is very, very important. Setting short-term goals or targets or aims keeps you on track with your management. Now, that's important because we are often told that the number one thing, the most important thing for you to do as a diabetic is to get your A1C between X range and X range. That's the goal. That's what you need to do. If you do that, you're laughing. Not wrong, but not fully correct. Because the whole, let's call an A1C a concept, the whole concept of the A1C is slightly flawed. Because it's the average of our blood sugar over an extended period of time. Now, those averages can come from frequent highs and frequent lows. lows. Yeah. So if I'm having a lot of highs and I'm having a lot of lows, they're going to balance each other out to a certain extent. Now, if they balance each other out, my A1C is probably going to come back better than I might have expected. But that doesn't really tell the full story. And for someone who lives with type 1 diabetes every day, they know that an A1c result isn't what determines how I feel during the day. How you feel during the day is determined by your time and range, the lack of highs and lows, and your overall management of the condition over that 24-hour period. So instead of just focusing on the long-term goal of your A1C, yeah, of course it's important. But if you focus on increasing your time and range, that's what makes the difference to your day. That's what improves the quality of your life as a diabetic.
1: When I see some of your stories and you kind of screenshot some of your clients' graphs, is this what we're talking about? When I see the kind of dotted line going across the day and it's nearly a straight line is that what you're talking about by getting your time and range it's that straight line there's no ups and no downs is that the graph from the said cgm yeah absolutely so
0: your time and range is your time and target range so if you're if you want to keep your blood sugar between let's say for example four millimoles per liter and eight millimoles per liter that's that's a great range to be in between now for anyone that uses milligram per deciliter. It's going to be, say, 72 to 140 or so. Keeping it between that range as much as you can is always going to be the goal. Because, like I said, having infrequent highs and lows during the day is what makes you feel normal. <laughs> it's what makes you feel as if you're in the driving seat of your blood sugar. It makes you feel energized. It doesn't affect your mood too much. You sleep better. You have more of an appetite. It's all the things that we want as a diabetic to just Mm. make sure our body is functioning normally. And that's determined by our time and range. So like I said, of course, the A1C is important, but it's not always going to give you the full picture. So if you are somebody who's lucky enough to have a CGM, use it to your advantage and try and give yourself little targets, say per day or per week or per month or quarterly, three-month period of saying, okay, this is my target time and range. Because we can't just say, I want a better A1C. Of course, it's a good goal to have. But if you say, I want a better A1C, a better A1C is stemmed from you increasing your time and range. And you increasing your time and range is built from your daily decisions each day. Do you decide to exercise more? Do you decide to increase your steps? Do you decide to drink more water? Do you decide to accurately and (laughs) accurately carb count and pre bolus in a disciplined way? Your A1C can't just be improved, it has to be improved by what you're doing today, right now, during this podcast, and after this podcast. So, Setting yourself goals of, okay, last week, my time and range was 50%. Next week, I want it to be 55. Next week, I want it to be 60, 70. And then from there, you can say, okay, what did I do? This is like a conversation I'd have with a client. (laughs) It's like, it's like,
1: yeah,
0: but it's like, you set yourself these goals of, let's say, 70% time and range. What do I need to do to get to that 70% time range? Do I need to exercise more? Do I need to prioritize sleep? Do I need to try and actively manage stress? It will always be the small little daily decisions. So when I say setting yourself goals, essentially it's a way to help you kind of stay on track per day, per week, per month, per year. And if you do that, you don't need to obsess over it, but just be aware of it. And if you're aware of it and you're making these decisions each day, I absolutely guarantee you by three months or six months or a year, when you get your A1C
1: tested again, it's going to come back better than you'd imagine. What about being conscious of inaccurate readings? What if you're in doubt? You're like, oh, I don't know. I feel different to what the CGM is telling me. What should you do? If you're in doubt, check your finger prick. 100% all the time.
0: If you feel as if your CGM is giving you inaccurate readings, check your finger prick. We've been through this a lot of times before on the podcast because your CGM, I'm going to say from my experience again, (laughs) from my experience, your CGM is never going to be fully as accurate as your blood glucose monitor. Because as we know, our CGM is an interstitial fluid, which is not technically in our blood. So it's never going to be as accurate or it's playing catch up. So if you feel that your alarm's ringing on your CGM, it's like low, 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 or your alarm's ringing and it's telling you you're high and you're thinking, hold on a second here. I don't feel high or I don't feel low. Don't treat it without double checking because it happened to me. There was actually, uh, relatively recently, my, my one of my sensors was just, it just seemed to be faulty. And for like seven days straight, I was just getting these super high readings. And I generally do the same sort of stuff each day. So I know my bloods are never gonna be like way out of whack.
1: Yeah.
0: And I started getting these readings. It's like, what? Like There's no way my blood sugars are up at 15, 16. So took out the finger prick, checked with that and I was like five, six, seven consistently through the week. Now, if I had a looked at the CGM and think, oh, and thought, oh no, like my, my blood sugar is super high, which it's so easy to do because the alarm is, the alarm is screaming at you and the phone, the phone is vibrating. It's easy to say, oh, I need to get my blood, blood sugar down as fast as possible. But just taking a step back, making sure it's accurate or inaccurate prevents you from taking insulin when you don't need insulin. Because if I had been at, say, six millimoles per liter, which is a good range to be, if I had technically been there, but my CGM was telling me I'm at 15, I could have taken three or four units of insulin. And if I took three or four units of insulin, if my blood sugar was six, and I hadn't had any food, not going to be the best outcome, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. So always double check with your finger prick if you feel as if your CGM is inaccurate. And one thing to point out, if you're wearing a CGM, now I don't know if it happens with the Libra, it can happen with, with the Dexcom, but there's something called compression lows. So if your CGM is under a lot of pressure, i.e. if your CGM is on your stomach and you're sleeping on your stomach, sometimes what can happen is a compression low can occur. So even though your blood sugar isn't low, the Dexcom for whatever, I actually don't know why that happens, but you can get alarms for low and urgent low. Hmm. And if you're asleep and you're kind of half dreaming, and then you wake up to this urgent low, but you're not technically low, You can easily just have a glucose drink or glucose tablets when you don't need them. And then obviously a rebound high on the other side. So if ever you're in doubt, check your finger. How can you use your CGM to master your overnights? This is a big one. And I'm going to keep preaching this on this podcast (laughs) because it's so important. And we've been through it plenty of times, I think, in, in previous episodes as well. Again, going back to ignorance is bliss with a finger prick. When you're asleep with a finger prick monitor, if you go to bed at 12 a.m., you wake up at 8 a.m., that eight-hour period, you have absolutely no idea what's going on with your blood sugar. You might wake up low, you might wake up high. You, you, you're blind to it. You don't know what's going on. Whereas when you have a CGM, you can see your overnight patterns. And why that's important is because with a CGM, you can see, right, if I'm waking up high, Am I actually waking up high in the morning or am I spiking through the night? And then if you determine two of those things, you can say, right, if I'm spiking through the night. Am I eating something close to bed that may spike my blood sugar later while I'm asleep? Or am I seeing the dawn phenomenon occur, occur where my blood sugar is starting to spike at five or six a.m.? Or is it spiking right away when I wake up because I'm getting foot to floor? You can determine all of these different things much easier than if you had just a finger prick. Because if I go to bed at 12 a.m. with a finger prick, my blood sugar's within range. And then I wake up at 8 a.m., my blood sugar's high. I've no idea when that happened. I've no idea if it was from the food I ate because had the dawn phenomenon at 3am or foot to floor just as I woke up. It's so, 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 so important that you prioritize your overnight blood sugars. Essentially, we are asleep for a third of our lifetime, a third of our day, around about. If we're consistently sleeping through the night high, over time, that's going to affect our long-term health. As we know, With type 1 diabetes, potentially we can have long term complications based on what we do today, right now. So, if you are somebody who's consistently sleeping through the night high or consistently waking up high, you should try and look into that. It's very, very, very important. And having a CGM greatly increases your ability to do that accurately,
1: to master your overnights. It's very important. Another thing you touch on multiple times is not reacting emotionally to your CGM numbers. This is a big one that you preach consistently. 100%. Big time. <laughs> I need to take a breath
0: before this one. <laughs> no, it's really really important and that that was that's something that everybody who I speak to that has is lucky enough to make the transition from a finger prick to a CGM initially struggles with. It's like, why am I seeing all these highs? Why am I seeing all these lows? I'm seeing these patterns overnight with exercise. You see everything. And it's so easy to react quickly to what you see because we always want to keep our blood sugar as stable as possible. So if we're seeing a spike shortly after food or a spike shortly after exercise or we're stressed and we spike and we react to that emotionally, we take insulin too quick or we take too much insulin or we want it to work faster than it does, they will always, always, always lead to almost an inevitable drop. So if you're having a high blood sugar, particularly with a low You just want to treat it as fast as you can because uh, safety first, as they say. Mm. But with a high, don't always react emotionally to it. I suppose what I always say to people is your blood sugar is like a mirror of what you do and what you don't do. Now, obviously, there are different factors that affect your blood sugar that we can control and then other things that we can't control. Sometimes it's more obvious why certain spikes occur, but there's always going to be a reason behind it. So instead of seeing a massive spike and being like, oh, why, why is my blood sugar spiking? Like I've, I've done everything right. I've done. You may have done everything right, but there's still a reason as to why your blood sugar spiked. And if you are kind of in that reaction state of, oh, I need to get my blood sugar just down as fast as possible, You're not giving yourself the opportunity to understand why that's happened. Whereas if you just like slow down, breathe, take a breath, look at your blood sugar, look at what you did the past hour or two, or look at what you didn't do the past hour or two and try to understand and scratch the surface to see why that has happened. Did you not take enough insulin? Did you eat? too many carbs? Did you not accurately carb count? Were you stressed? Are you dehydrated? Did the exercise do it? Did you not sleep last night? There's always going to be a reason behind something. It just sometimes won't be as obvious as other times. I suppose this rule is kind of relevant to all aspects of life. A lot of the time when you react emotionally to things There's rarely a positive outcome from that reaction. It's true. And specifically with diabetes, if you're reacting to your bloods all the time, you're, you're almost like a slave to your blood sugar because it's just high happens, react. Low happens, react. Whereas if you're understanding why these highs and lows are happening, potentially you can do what you need to do before they happen to prevent them from happening. So you can understand, okay, last time when I went out for a run, my blood sugar dropped. So this time, not going to run for as long. I'm going to make sure there's no insulin on board. I'm going to maybe more carbohydrate prior to it. when you're more aware of why things have happened, you can always do something about it again in the
1: future. And finally, I like this one because it kind of goes back to um, me looking at those graphs and being inquisitive. The opportunity to educate people about diabetes, because I do love a good graph. And it's so interesting to actually see it happening in real time. And it's your opportunity, I suppose, to teach people and show people specific times of the day and how your blood sugars are reacting.
0: Yeah. And I, and when I was thinking of reasons or ways you can get the most out of your CGM, I was always thinking of how can your CGM benefit you? And of course, it's your CGM. It's on your body. Of course, it's going to benefit you. But then what came to mind was how the simple act of you wearing a CGM can sometimes benefit somebody else. When you wear a CGM, it's kind of the only visible way anybody can tell that you're diabetic. And the chances are, If you're you're walking down the street with a CGM on, there's probably somebody that's going to see you who knows somebody else who lives with type 1 diabetes. And just by you wearing your CGM, you may benefit somebody else living with diabetes. And what I mean by that is there could be a kid walking down the street who absolutely hates his diabetes. But if he sees somebody else Confidently walking down the street, you may not actually be confident with it, mm. but th- he can't tell that. They can't tell that. If somebody sees you wearing it, that might say to them, "Oh, that person's wearing one. Maybe it is okay to wear one. Maybe I don't need to feel embarrassed. Maybe I don't need to feel upset or hard done by by this. They're doing it. I can do it." And when I got a couple sensors when I was in the states couple years ago before I kind of got it fully. So I was testing out the, the, the Dexcom and I was wearing it in the gym one time. And this woman came up to me and goes, what's that on your arm? And I was like, it's a CGM. <laughs> it's a CGM. I use it to monitor my blood sugar. I'm type one diabetic. And she said that her son was type one diabetic and that he, just like the example that I'm giving you, He was somebody who hated his diabetes and was embarrassed of it, who just completely neglected, completely avoided the fact that he had it. And I had a conversation with this woman and I feel as if her seeing it on me made her feel better about her son. And I knew that she would kind of be able to take back that conversation to her son Mm. to say that. You know, I saw I saw this guy in the gym and he was lifting weights and he looked active and he has type one diabetes. So that means that you can do these things too, or you you don't have to be embarrassed of it or whatever it is. And I and that's an important one for people to remember is that like even me with this podcast, like I really enjoy doing this podcast, but sometimes when I get messages from people that I've no idea who are listening, who are benefiting a lot from the podcast, really means a lot. And if you are somebody who is listening right now and isn't really confident that their diabetes or, or hates their diabetes and has a CGM, the simple act of you wearing one in public, you might not necessarily want to, you don't have to flaunt it if you don't want to, but somebody might benefit just from seeing you, which is a fantastic thing.
1: Well, I hope You listening have really learned some little tidbits to get the most out of your CGM. Owen, thank you as always. And as we always say, if you have any questions based off your CGM or anything else in relation to diabetes that you would like to put to Owen on one of the future episodes, but we do touch on emails. I know we've got a couple of them coming up in the next few weeks. The Insel Owen podcast at gmail.com. You can check out the spelling and everything of that in the description of this wherever you're listening to your podcast.
0: Absolutely. And as always, appreciate you listening. Thank you for your time. I know your time is a very, very valuable asset. So we appreciate it. And if you are somebody with a CGM, I'm guessing you are. That's why you're listening to the episode try and set yourself those little targets. If you want to improve your management, start by setting yourself little targets, little goals, little aims for your days or your weeks, for time and range, or just getting into a better lifestyle, getting into better habits, being more consciously aware of your blood sugar. Like I always say, living consciously, it's so important because the things that we do right now, today, tomorrow, this week, or what make the difference, there's another voice crack, (laughs) Are what makes the difference to our overall management, our quality of life, and our long-term health, which is the most important thing. But thank you. Have a good week. Mind the bloods. Chat soon.